I think we're good? Yes, we're on. Oh, it's so good to be back together. Ah, Christmas is over. You know, it was just two weeks ago. It's, that's a weird phenomenon, isn't it? I mean, we build up to Christmas for months. And then Christmas is here, and literally by the next day, man, it's okay. This is move on, and then and then we kind of hold on there a little bit for New Year's, and then but once New Year's is over, dude, Christmas it was like forever ago. But I'm dragging you back because I have to finish up my three-part series for Christmas. Uh, warning: This one's been marinating a while. What usually happens is it gets longer because I overthink it. I'm going to try to get through in a reasonable amount of time, but there's some really, really exciting things here uh, that I want to share with you. Hopefully we can get through it all. Uh, the, the series was like this, this baby name that they named Jesus, and the first one was, what were they expecting? And we saw that, and we looked at that, and we said, okay, they were expecting some things that weren't real. They, they wanted an earthly Messiah to come and take care of all of their earthly problems and put the nation of Israel back in its place and God would punish his enemies and reward those that were his. And then here comes this little nondescript baby in this nondescript town with nondescript parents in a very concealed way. And they just weren't having it. And then he came, and, and, and the second part was, okay, well, what was he really? What was it? Okay, this is what I expected. I expected this guy to build an army and overthrow the Roman government and, and, and establish this kingdom and reestablish Judaism as the, the number one thing and reinstitute the temple worship and reign from Jerusalem. And it didn't happen. Okay, so what, what actually did, did happen? Well, Jesus came, and they were waiting for the prophet and the priest and the king, and they had been prophesied about in, back in the Old Testament and in Psalms, and, and sure enough, he was the prophet and the priest and the king. But unlike what they were expecting, and he was the humble, suffering servant, and he was God. That really threw him. That really threw him for a loop. Because if he's God, he would be majestic. And, and, he, and he would be performing massive miracles everywhere and drawing everyone in the world to himself. I am God. And, 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 and the heavens would open up and the angels would sing all the time, not just when he was born. That's coming when he comes back. But this really threw him. And so my point with those two sermons really was, let's not do the same thing that they did. Let's not miss the Jesus because he isn't who we expect. Now, we have the word of God and we have centuries of traditions. And so we get it. He came and he was born in a stable. We got no problem with that. Uh, we got no problem with the fact that he was just a little guy and his parents weren't famous. And we can get it that he, we, we get it he wasn't really 
you know, openly famous and popular and that he didn't start this big government. We get all that because we, we read the story now and we have all the information. But, but then I thought, well, but where do we miss the true Jesus when we start worshiping the Jesus that's not of the Bible? And I went through a bunch of points where we can stumble on that. And so, okay, we get the Jesus that was the Christmas story and everything. So, so I just wanted to say, make sure that you have the proper expectation of God. How do you think we do that? Anybody? Because we have the word, right? Are, are, we're going to be talking about this next time, next Sunday. Are we people of the word? Everything I know about Christ, I got from one place, the word of God. Why are we coming? Why do we have this part of our service? Because we need to understand and go to the word of God for everything. What is my expectation of Jesus? What is my expectation of God? What's my expectation of my Christianity, of this life? What can I expect out of this life? The Bible tells me. And I get discouraged and I get disillusioned and I get angry and frustrated because I'm expecting something out of this life that God never promised. And I am not focusing on the things in this life that God did promise, some of which we're going to be talking about this morning. So who was he really? So the final part of it is, why did he come? Why did Jesus come? He had a mission. He had a mission from God. And again, we look at this and we think, well, why, God, didn't you just send Jesus the first time like you're going to send him the second time? Why did he come? Why didn't he just say, okay, here I am, I'm God, and the heavens opened up, and everybody in the entire world would understand this is God, there is a God, and, and he's, he's, he's trying to interact with us, and he has a message for us, and here it is, it's accept this guy, and, and you can be with me forever. And everybody would know, and, and all you'd have to do is gather as many people around and just start you know, doing miracles, you know, whatever it is. Okay, I, I'm going to part more seas for you. Uh, I, I'm going to feed the whole world using just this one grape. But he didn't do that. He came and he had a mission. What, what was his mission? We're going to look at a couple different passages of Scripture today. If I can get this. I, I'm terrible with this thing. I am just absolutely terrible. Part of it is because I don't, can't really see it. <clears throat> We're going to be going to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. So if you want, you can turn in your Bibles. We're going to have it up here. <clears throat> but first, let me give you this one. This one is absolutely incredible. First of all, we're going to do two things. We're going to go back. We're going to borrow some stuff from Christmas. Luke 2, verses 8 through 11. And the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone all around them. They were filled with great fear. And here's the one I want you to get. Two verses. Verses 10 and 11. And the angels... I think you get a little bit of attention when you come out of heaven, right? 
you come out and the heavens open up and this is, whoa, this is legit. And they said, fear not, because they were afraid. I don't know about you, but yeah. Have you ever had any dreams like that? I have. It's, it's weird, but I, I think I probably would be afraid. Because it's out of the norm, for one thing. And it's, it's, the heavens are opening up. What's next? Okay, so they said this. Don't be afraid, for I bring you good news. Good news of great joy. What's the good news? What do we say that is? Gospel, right? The gospel. That's called the good news. That's what it means, good news. I have this good news message. It, in fact, I'm going to say it's really, really good news. I'm bringing it. This is the angel saying it. I'm bringing you this really, 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 really more really, really good news of great joy that's available for all people. For now, unto you this day, this day in the city of David is a Savior who is Christ the Messiah and Lord, which means God. Okay, those three things. I have this really, 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 really good message of hope for you, and it's based on this today. God came down, and he's got a mission, and this was what it is. Luke 19.10, just a few chapters following. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man, God, the Son of Man, God. God refers, and Jesus refers himself to the son, as the Son of Man more than he, he refers to himself as the Son of God. It's kind of weird, isn't it? But in his humanity, he's calling himself the Son of Man, and I came for a purpose, and here I am, and the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. So let's take a look at some of those words. The Son of Man came to seek. Zeteo, which is to find and seek out and search. You know what it didn't say? You know what it didn't say in that verse? The Son of Man came to get the ones who were already waiting for him and wanted him to come. Didn't say that. The Son of Man came to find those that were really deserving and bring them with him. Didn't say that. The Son of Man came waiting for those to really prove themselves that they're worthy so they could be part of the family. Didn't say that. What it said was, Jesus came to a world and I am going to find, I am going to seek out and gather those that are mine. And I am going to, so I came to seek and to save. The word save in the Greek is sozo, which is to protect and heal and restore. And then he said to save that which was lost. And that lost word is apolomeo, destined for destruction. <clears throat> this is really, 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 really good news. That Jesus came and he, he, and he humbled himself to become a man and he was born on what we call Christmas Day. And he came with a mission and the mission wasn't to gather a bunch of crowds. It wasn't to become famous. It wasn't to institute a new government. It wasn't even to say, I'm here to evangelize. What? No. Did he evangelize? He did. Did he put out the message? Could he have gathered everybody in the world? Yes. He could have been the ultimate evangelist. Now, we look at him as 
an example of evangelism, but was that his mission? No. He came to die. He came to seek and to save that which was lost, which required a suffering servant to die for those that he loved. Not a popular way. I mean, we hear it all the time. Gosh, God, what a crummy plan. You have to kill your own kid. Couldn't you come up with something that was a little more majestic? Instead of dying on a cross like a common criminal, what were you thinking? That was Jesus' mission, and he fulfilled it because he gave us the example of humility and sacrifice and agape love that does whatever is necessary for the benefit of the object being loved. And that was his mission, to become sin. He who knew no sin become sin so that I, could escape death. So we're going to look next at Ephesians chapter 1. I'm sorry, chapter, I keep saying 1. It's 2, verses 1 through 7. Okay, so I am going to go back here, and I'm going to to add some things. What am I trying to accomplish today? Well, I can't accomplish it, but God can and his Holy Spirit. What was God working in me How many, I'm going to bring you back to Christmas again. How many of you watched It's a Wonderful Life this time? How many of you have seen it ever? Ever, 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 ever. Okay. How about A Christmas Carol? Like, that's weird. There's a massive connection. Okay. George Bailey. Life stunk. He was to the point of taking his own life. It was so bad. He's ready to jump off a bridge, right? Jump off a bridge. Um, he is about to be arrested for embezzlement, which he didn't do. But he had a guy in the, in the community that was spreading that around about him. And, and why do we have all these kids anyway? His kids were banging away on the piano, and he's going crazy, and he smacks, he goes, and he makes the really obnoxious phone call to the kid's teacher and everything. But anyway, so they paint a picture of George Bailey's life that is really tough and really bad. And then the same thing happens in A Christmas Carol, right? When they, here's those Ebenezer Scrooge. It's a little different way, but, but, but we're going we're gonna, to... What are we going to do? He, he's experiencing, he's a bah humbug, and he's not a happy guy, and, and, they, and they show him what it could be. And in the case of George Bailey, it shows him what it shouldn't be. If, if I could, and I hate to do this to you, but, I, but if I could, I'd kill you right now, and then bring you back. And then you would say, one of two things. Oh, praise God. How did I ever get so obsessed with this world? Because if you're a believer, that's what you're going to say. And you're going to say something else if you're not. You're going to say, oh, my God, what have I done? So here's my point. If I could do that, if I could take you to the next life even for a moment... Then the effect, what was the effect on George Bailey? He was so distraught. I mean, he was really distraught, ready to take his own life. 
And he comes back from having his perspective adjusted. And the guy says, George Bailey, I have here a warrant for your arrest. And he says, I know, isn't that wonderful? And he, and he goes up the stairs, and the, how many of you remember the little, the little um, ball on the top of the stairs, right? And, and he, and this is me, my wife says, Tim, if that was you, you'd be hucking it. And absolutely right, man. I, that kind of stuff just drives me nuts. Just, <clears throat> he picks it up. <clears throat> Why? Because he had a new perspective on the reality of his situation. That's what this message of good news, this really, 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 really good news should have on our lives if we can have our perspective readjusted. That's what these verses are. This is a perspective readjustment. Let's read and see where we were, all of us, What did God do, and what did that mean to us? So the first three verses, Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, are going to talk about where we all came from. And you were dead. Do you realize you were born dead? Stillborn, I guess. That's what it says. And I know this can be a little bit up for debate. But I believe that the Bible says, I'm born dead. You say, well, you know, the spiritual, it's spiritual death. And I get it when I commit a volitional sin. But I don't believe that's what the Bible says. I'm reformed in my theology. I'm not going to be super dogmatic about this. But I believe we are born of sinful material. Our nature is to be a sinner. We have no other choice but to be a sinner. And when we are born, we are born estranged and at war with God. You were dead. The word is necros or corpse. You were dead in your sins and trespasses. And I think back, and you know, I was little, and I, I think I've told you a number of times. I, I accepted Christ at 12, but I grew up in a church, in a church family, and we went there for everything. And I remember vacation Bible school. We didn't have Awanas, but we had Sunday school, and we had kids' camp and different things. And I remember always just thinking, God loved me, and this is the way to go. And I never even really doubted it. And so it was hard to me to go back and think, man, you were just dead, and you were an enemy of God. Well, I never really remembered being an enemy of God. Did that matter? No. Because this, where do I go to find out my true condition? How I feel about things? That work? How do, I, how do I assess my own life? Nope. I go to the Word of God, which definitively tells me you're a stranger. In fact, you're an enemy of God, and you're in big, 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 big trouble. Because the consequences of that are eternal and really bad. And this is where we all started. We were dead in our sins and our trespasses, born dead, separated from God, unable to fix ourselves, not interested in finding God, not looking for God, not hoping for God, not just sick, not just injured, but dead. 
That's a tough place to be spiritually when you have to stand at some point in front of the God of the universe. The point of this is just where was I and how much trouble was I in because a lot of times when we try to share our Christianity, especially in our culture now, one of the first responses when I say, you know, you need to be saved from your sins and trespasses, and they say, saved from what? God and I are okay. He leaves me alone, I leave him alone. How's that working for you when you die? Not well. So we have to understand where we came from to recognize the greatness of the good news. So we were dead in our sins and trespasses, in which we all once walked, parpateo, which means not just to put our little toe over the line, but this is you were walking, treading around, tromping around in a completely different worldview, a completely different system, and in fact... You were following the prince of the air in the course of this world. There are two kingdoms, gods and Satan's. There isn't one in between. Now, I think people think that, right? Now, I'm not a Satan worshiper, but I don't believe in God either. And God says, well, there's, there, there's, there's us and there's them. There is no other category. You either belong to me or you belong to this world, and Satan is the prince of this world, temporarily. We were one of those others, and at some point that's where we were. And it says in Scripture that all of us walked around in that system with our minds broken and our vision clouded and our hearts evil. Not a one of us was good on ourselves, and we were destined for... Bad. And it says the prince in verse 2, following the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And I think, well, I'd like to point around and say, well, I'm not a sons of disobedience. Maybe you are, but no, I was. Even as a kid who went to church, I was a pretty good kid, right, Mom? Pretty good. <laughs> I mean, I had my moments, but, you know. I wasn't out, you know, robbing banks or anything. Uh, And I thought, well, you know, I'm pretty good. I'm a pretty good guy. I I don't hate God. But according to Scripture, I was an enemy of God. I was walking around with a completely different mind because my heart and my mind had not yet been fixed by God. And so there I was. And so what are the consequences of that? Among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and our minds, and we were, as a result, by nature, not by action, but by nature and action, objects of God's wrath. Children of wrath, it says. We were children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. Let me read from uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. But because of your hard and impenitent hearts, you are storing up wrath for yourselves on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. And to those by patience and well-doing seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give those eternal life. Those would be his. But for those, those that aren't his, 
who are self-seeking, do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, to them it will be my wrath and my fury. And so not only was I born dead, not only am I walking around in this sinful condition, but the consequences of that position is that I am now an object of God's wrath. You think God isn't the perfect punisher? We get some glimpses from Scripture, intentionally somewhat vague, in my opinion, of what hell is like. And there's a lot of different interpretations, and they use things like fire and flames and torture and darkness. But what I do know is this. It is separation from God completely. And since I was initially designed to only flourish and function in perfect intimacy with God, that is the worst punishment possible. I don't know if there's physical pain. I do know that it says those that are Christians are going to be resurrected and given a body. Now, whether that body will actually experience physical pain or whether it's just going to be the psychological and mental pain of being separated from my Savior and from God eternally and left to the devices of myself and others like me, we see those apocalyptic visions on TV, you know, where there's, there's complete anarchy and they're, and they're rowing and everybody's out for themselves and they kill one another and they steal. And maybe that's what it'll be like for those in hell. I don't know. But I do know it's horrible. And so that's the consequences. That's what we, and in fact, according to Scripture, that's what we deserved. Every single one of us deserved to be an object of God's wrath. Every single one of us deserved God could rightfully and justly punish every single human being with eternal damnation in hell. And he would be perfectly just to do so. So don't start thinking, well, I was pretty good. Or don't start thinking, I was a little bit better than this guy. Or don't start thinking that, well, yeah, I was bad, but my good was better than my bad. And so, therefore, God really probably chose wisely when he picked me. No. No. You and I brought nothing to the table. Does the good news sound a little better now? Does the good news sound like, boy, am I just so blessed I can't hardly stand it, regardless of the garbage that's going on around me in my life? God, I can't believe it. I was dead. I was destined for hell, and you came and sought after me and saved me. Praise God. And it ought to have some effect on my life. And so we see where we all started, and then we see what God did in verse 4. But God. This is the, maybe the two greatest words in the English language, but God, because without God, we were done. But God, who, being rich, I mean, and rich means aboundingly wealthy in mercy, or Elios, compassion, and because of the great love, this agape love, that's agape, that is these, this supernatural God love that does what's most beneficial for the object being loved. Because of his mercy, 
because of his love, because of his grace in verse 5, even when we were dead, even when we were dead. Now, we can say, even when we were dead, and pile on some other scriptures, even when we were enemies of God, even when we had this horrible heart, even when none of us were looking after God, none seek after me, none are righteous, not even one, their hearts are desperately wicked, even when all of that was true, God stepped in and fixed it and made us alive and made us alive, meaning spiritual life, together with Christ by grace. And grace means I didn't do anything to deserve it, to earn it, or to keep it. Isn't it wonderful? Isn't that wonderful, wonderful news that when I deserve something completely different, that God, but God, made me alive and raised me up. So this is something else. This is something we miss, I think, most oftentimes in Christianity, that God raises us, in verse 6, up with him, Christ, and seats us with him, Christ, in heavenly places. And do you know, in the eternal now, you are already there. You are already sharing in Christ's glory, in God's eternal now picture, because you are already there, and nothing can change that. I and you, if you are a follower of Christ, are going to share in the glory that God gives Jesus as one of his followers. I get a part of that. That's part of the good news. The really, 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 really good news of Christmas. But God, even when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses... By grace you have been saved. We did nothing to deserve it. We were completely recipients of God's love, mercy, and grace. We were dead spiritually, and God made us alive. And he has joined us eternally with Christ, never to be separated, always guarded by the hand of God. That's what God did. Verses 6 and 7 tells us that we were raised up and gives us a little bit of the result so that we are up there in heavenly places with Jesus. In verse 7, so that in the coming ages, in the next life, in the next phase of our existence, I'm doing all of this so that I can show you the immeasurable, the hooperballo, the exceedingly great, exceeding of the standard. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind to conceive of the wonderful things that God has in store for those who love him. There is this thing that we are so good, it, the, it, it, the message is so, so good, so, 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 so good that we can't even imagine it in our best dreams because we have no reference point. We have no way of knowing how wonderful it will be to be outside this sin body. We have no idea how wonderful it will be to be intimate with God without our sin getting in the way. We will have no idea how blessed we will be just to be in the presence of God. But he's giving us the message. So that in the ages to come, you will... I can show you the immeasurably great 
and uh, riches of my grace and kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. Jesus had to come and die in order for us to have that. In order to come and die, he had to be born as a baby. That's what we celebrated at Christmas time. We're going to be spending our eternity as children of the kings, and we will be known as we are already known by him. The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That is the best news you've ever heard, whether you recognize it or not. And like George Bailey, and like Ebenezer Scrooge, it ought to have an effect on our lives today. But it's very difficult for us to have the right perspective because the things of this life are right in our face here and now every day. And it is so easy to get our eyes focused on the problems of our lives now instead of the promises of our lives to come. I want to be George Bailey coming back into my house giddy, giddy. Okay, throw me in jail. Isn't that wonderful? Okay, whatever. I don't care if my house is falling apart. I'm back and my life has been restored. Shouldn't we be living our lives like that every day so that people look at us and say, what are these weirdo people all so happy about? I'm so happy because I was dead. Now I'm alive. I was going to hell and now I'm going to be with God forever. Praise God, hallelujah, let me share that with you. It ought to have an effect on our life. It ought to have an effect on our perspective. We should be rejoicing. And I know you guys are sick and tired of this one, but I'm going to do it anyway. It's not Romans 2, or Romans 12, I'm sorry. (laughs) It's the other one God's given me lately. Praise be to God and our Father, Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Christ Jesus from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Who through faith are shielded. By God's power until the coming salvation is ready to be revealed in the last days. So in all of that, including the message that the Son of Man came to seek and save, that was lost. All of those things I'm promising you, and here's what I want you to do, Tim. I'm going to say Tim because Tim has a real problem with this. In all this, greatly rejoice. In all this, pull a George Bailey. Though now, for a little while, you've had to suffer grief through all kinds of trials. But these have come so that the genuineness of your faith may be proven, which is more valuable than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, that it may result in praise and glory and honor for you when Jesus is revealed. I don't do well with this I struggle in the midst of my trials I struggle and God says you're just looking in the wrong place I've already told you this life is hard 
and you're in for it. And sometimes you're in for it for being mine and doing good. Don't look at that. And when George Bailey, and I hate to use, I keep using it, but I'm going to anyway. <laughs> Nothing really had changed with his situation. His perspective changed. And he got home, and he was still going to get arrested, and he was still going to be ostracized. But I mean, then his neighbors came in, and they paid off the debt, and J George Bailey's life was restored. And we still don't know if he you know, went on to increase the business of the building and loan, and there was still a depression and everything. But nonetheless, we wanted to feel good at the end, so it was all good. And they sang, you know, old acquaintance, be forgotten, all that, uh, old mind design. But did anything in his world really change? No, not really. I mean, it eventually did. But when he walked back into that house and his attitude was so much different, had, had he been expecting anything but no, I'm going to get thrown in jail, but guess what? I don't care. I don't care. My life's been changed by this rearrangement of my perspective. And so now I don't care. Bring it on. Basically, bring it on. Now, he was re removed from that, and, and, and that doesn't always happen to us. We could change our attitude and understand how wonderful God has been to us and still, the trials may pile on. And that's why, you know, sometimes it's, it's a little difficult. You, you read the Job story and you think, well, gosh, that's it. I'm going through this time now, but hey, tomorrow, <laughs> God's going to bless me ten times over. <laughs> Spiritually, yeah. In the next life, absolutely. No guarantees today, though, so don't, don't transpose the Job ending onto your own life. Because as, as long as we're in this life, as long as we're in this body, we're going to screw it up bad enough to cause consequences, regardless of what anybody else does. But it's not about that. It's not about our circumstances being better. What it's about is owning the reality that you already have. You've been saved. You've been made alive. You've been pardoned. And you're a son or daughter of the king of all things. Let's pray. Father God, it's so easy for us to look at our lives and obsess about the circumstances that we are in instead of seeing the true reality of who you are and who we are in you. Everything is yours. You're in control of all things. We're bond servants. We don't own anything. We have the freedom of knowing that you are working all things together for our good. And yet we're stressed out of our brains. Lord, help us to see the truth of our reality that it would affect the way we think and feel and behave so that you would be glorified through us. In Jesus' name, amen.